Welcome to your parent-teacher conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host, and you are welcomed in today by Fireworks, a cartoon about the 4th of July and the Declaration of Independence, which was first seen on Schoolhouse Rock. Now, if you were a kid growing up in the 70s, you knew that right away, what that was from. If not, Schoolhouse Rock was a series of short three-minute cartoons that was played on Saturday mornings in between the main cartoons on ABC and they presented math facts, grammar, and in this case, history, um, bits of U.S. history in these three-minute segments that had songs to them, and the songs were always really catchy. So today on this episode, we are going to be talking about fireworks because here in the United States, we just celebrated the 4th of July, and when you ask many Americans, what do you think of on the 4th of July, probably the number one answer is going to be fireworks. But before we begin, as I always say, if you like what you hear, please retweet this or share it on Facebook or tell a friend that you're listening to the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. And if you'd like to reach out to me to tell me how I'm doing or share a question or a concern or an idea for a future podcast, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. PTC podcast 411 at gmail.com. So as I said, the 4th of July was just celebrated here in the States, and a big part of the celebration is a nightly fireworks display. And I don't know what it is, but fireworks seems to bring out the kid in all of us, doesn't it? I still remember my grandfather was in his 60s, would get still excited about two things. One was circuses. He loved circuses. He loved circus music. And the other one was fireworks. Now, my grandfather grew up an immigrant's child. He didn't have a lot of money. So my feeling has always been that this draw to circuses and fireworks were two things from his childhood, two special events, where today many people, many kids might say, going on a vacation to the Caribbean or the Disney World, that is just brings back memories of their childhood. I think for my grandfather, it was simple things like fireworks and circuses. And, it, and I think it's still interesting that there's this draw to fireworks. Just think about it. My grandfather's growing up probably in the early 1900s, like 1910s. What was technology? You know, he, he, His family probably didn't own a car, but he probably saw them. I mean, if he had any piece of high-tech devices in his house, it would have been a telephone, right? That would have been it. Today, we're in this high-tech age. We have, you know, the computer in our pocket is more powerful than the computer that sent the men to the moon, right? So, isn't it interesting? With all this technology, we're still drawn to the beauty of something so simple like a firework. And, of course, it's not just watching the fireworks. For some people, they have to be actively involved. 
And you know that because the days leading up to the 4th of July and for some days afterwards, when the sun goes down, just wait about 15, 20 minutes and you'll start hearing the booms and the flashes of your neighborhood lighting up as the people who live there went out and bought, bought their own fireworks to light up. A few years ago in New Jersey, they legalized non-explosive fireworks, you know, like sparkler types. You can buy them legally now in New Jersey. And we had just moved into this neighborhood. And there was a young boy who was the same age as my oldest daughter, and they got to be buddies. It was like they were in second or third grade at the time. And their parents invited us over to a little fireworks display. They had bought a whole bunch of fireworks. And the my neighbor and his oldest son lined them up on this piece of wood on their front lawn. We stood out on the street. And they, they, they had like they were very organized. They they were putting on a like a Macy's fireworks display. It just wasn't gonna be shot over the Hudson River. It was gonna be shot over this guy's front lawn. So we were there. Their neighbor to the other side were there who also had some young kids. And as we stood out on the street, as the father and son carefully lit each firework and at a certain time, even though it wasn't this unbelievable display that you get at your town's park it still brought exclamations of ooh ah from both kids and adults as different colored lights illuminated the sky and pops could be here not explosions little pops could be here again nothing dramatic but still brought about that sense of awe and beauty in all of us. After our local grand finale of fireworks was over, we walked home and I pulled out my cell phone to use as a flashlight. Cell phones are unbelievable, aren't they? It's like, I call them the Swiss army knife of the modern age. It can do anything. It's your watch, it's a calculator, of course it, it's a messenger, and it's a flashlight. So I took out my cell phone and I used its flashlight feature to kind of illuminate now the road just to make sure everything was safe and my youngest daughter who I think was about six years old at the time noticed the shadow it was creating on the road of her and she she realized how large the shadow was and she exclaimed I'm big and then the rest of the walk home she tried to catch up to her shadow and step on it. And then as she was walking, she also started noticing that depending upon how far away she was from the light, that the shadow would be bigger or smaller. She was just amazed by all this. Something so simple. Now we're talking about fireworks, how fireworks still draw the imagination and wonder in us, even in a high-tech age. And here's my daughter, something simple as a shadow is bringing her that sense, still that sense of wonder and amazement, trying to figure out how it all worked. No, is what she thought about how it worked going to be written down in a science textbook? No, that's not the point. The point is, for a six-year-old, she's making sense of the shadow and how it works with the flashlight together and making sense of it within a six-year-old's mind.
her sense of wonder is leading to discovery. As both parents and teachers, we need to stoke that sense of wonder and excitement in children young and old. We shouldn't deceive ourselves uh, by thinking that it has to be the latest bells and whistles of technology. I used to teach at a small private school and there wasn't a lot of funds for extras. But I discovered that even at the high school level, kids wanted to be inspired by their imaginations. They just needed a storyteller. And that's the role you as the teacher need to portray. You don't need the latest and greatest technical device. So for example, as a history teacher, I love doing simulations. And I tried to set the stage. We did a World War I simulation. If you ever played the game Diplomacy, it's a great World War I game. So what I would do is I said, okay, the Archduke is dead. Archduke Ferdinand of Austria-Hungary is dead, killed by Serbian, a Serbian national who wanted to get Sarajevo as part of Serbia. You know, all the, all the basic true facts of World War I. And then I said, instead of breaking out into war in August, as was happening in Europe, as we had previously studied in our world history course, we are going to have a conference of the nations. And my students were put as ambassadors of the major powers of World War I. And they were given goals their nation was trying to achieve based on historical fact and situations they wanted to avoid. I was the moderator of the conference and students would ask to be recognized and address the conference. Let's say the ambassador of Germany stood up and as she was talking, she said something about France and their concerns. And the French ambassador out of turn responds with, I don't think the French people will agree with that. To which the German ambassador shoots back, who cares what the French think? I don't. Now I turn into the role of the press, where I tell everybody in attendance that the next day the headlines in the French newspaper is German ambassador to French people, who cares what you think? And saying that the French people are now saying they should go to war with Germany. You know, it's funny, none of those conferences ever ended in a peace deal. But the purpose of them was to put the students in a very minor way into the minds of world leaders. How do wars happen? And they realize it's a combination of geopolitics, their goals and the situations they want to avoid. It's about keeping their people happy. And for countries like Austria, Hungary, and Russia, it was about preserving their rule over their empires. Think to yourself, what would do a better job of helping kids understand, understand these facts about how countries interact with one another? Reading a book, watching a video, listening to a lecture, or imagining they were actual leaders of the countries that fought World War I at the time. I'm going to lean to the simulation.
which stoked their sense of wonder. And we should know this lesson. When we think back to simple things that bring such amazement and wonder like fireworks and a young child chasing their shadow. Of course, the one thing many of us can't avoid in the classroom is to focus on high-stake testing because you have to get those scores up, right? That's real learning. But is it? Did my students involved in that World War I simulation, did they learn a lot about history and understand how countries interact with one another? I, I think they did. I think they did a lot better than working on a workbook put out by the Pearson Corporation, the same one that makes the test up. And of course, we can also ask which form of learning really is self-initiated. You know, the state testing to get a high score, who is that high score for? Usually, it's for the school and the teacher. The child taking the test, they usually never have a reward or a consequence for their score. Did you ever think about that? In high-stakes testing that had became popularized in the early 2000s, the shift in the focus went from how can this test is going to help us diagnose how we can teach and reach this child better to this test is going to allow us to rate the school and the teachers who teach the child because there no longer were rewards and consequences tied to the test for the student. So what kind of incentive is there for the child to really work hard to get those scores up other than fear, somebody instilling in them fear if they don't, that something will happen that really won't happen, you know, or their parents being upset. I got to be honest, in all the years my children have taken the state testing, listen up, New Jersey Department of Education, in all the years my own children have taken your state tests, my wife and I have never looked at the scores we get sent because they're meaningless. They don't matter to us. Does that mean we don't care about our child's education? No, that doesn't mean that at all. What it means is that we rather listen to the people who are working with our children on a daily basis. And they give their own tests. They have district-wide reading and math scores that they do. And also, of course, anecdotal evidence from what they see in the classroom. And that gives us a greater picture of our ch children's needs than any of your state testing ever could. They're, they're, I, I got to be honest, from my point of view, state testing is a waste of time. And the other thing is this emphasis that schools don't want to be posted in the newspaper that they are not in the top 100 school districts in the state. That being the drive, it misses out on the main reason that we have schools in the first place, is, and it's to educate our young people. It's all about making the school district look good than for the child to be a good reader, to be good at math, to be a critical thinker. Free teachers to allow their classrooms to be a center of wonder, to be a place where fireworks in a figurative sense go off every day and students walk into that classroom expecting to be amazed. Now I'm going to turn to parents. What are you doing to instill this sense of wonder? I know my oldest daughter, when she was a little younger, 
she did something or did things that were very similar to when I was a kid. It's kind of scary because now if you don't know our story, my daughter is adopted. So there's no like there's no DNA in her. That's me. But yet it's scary how much she acts like me. So so that whole nature nurture thing, I guess. But one of the things she would never know, I never shared this with her. When she was younger, she loved to make things. Like she wanted to create like foods, right, and cook. And she would make a huge mess. She had no clue what she was doing. She was just throwing things together. I did the same thing when I was a kid. My mom would get mad at me because, of course, I left the cleaning up to her. My wife would get mad at my daughter because she would leave the cleaning up to my wife. So, like I said, very similar. I mean, other than safety concerns about using a stove in an oven, should we be stopping that? What's my daughter really doing? She's experimenting. It's with food, but she's experimenting. She's learning about cooking. And today, you know, I'll walk in, I'll smell something, it smells good. I'm like, hey, what are you doing, Maddie? And she's like, oh, I'm making myself an omelet. And where did that start? Where did her being able to make an edible, tasty omelet start from? It started from making that mess and play acting, in a sense, being a cook. Are we allowing our children in the home, in a safe way, to experience those same sense of wonder, to discover things? How many of you have ever seen the movie Signs by M. Night Shyamalan? That is the one where Mel Gibson is a former pastor whose wife was um, killed in a traffic accident and aliens land on the earth. And he keeps recalling the accident and the last words he had with his wife. And one of her last words were about her son. Now, her son, when the aliens landed, he has them, all, like, he, ha- he starts wearing a tinfoil hat so they can't read his mind. He puts his little sister in a tinfoil hat. He even gets his uncle to wear a tinfoil hat as well. And he's all these strange ideas about the aliens that he picked up from reading comic books. And Mel Gibson just thinks it's ridiculous, right? But he recalls what his wife says to him as she's dying. And she tells him, the the son's name is Morgan. And she tells him this. Tell Morgan to play games. It's okay to be silly. Tell Morgan to play games. It's okay to be silly. And I think sometimes as parents... We want our kids to, quote-unquote, grow up. When they're kids, let them be kids. Let them be kids. Kids are silly, and it's okay to be silly. And often what we see from the adult mind as silliness is really our children exploring and having this sense of wonder and trying to figure things out. As a kid, my parents allowed me to play my silly games, like one of them was, I go down to our basement. Our basement ceiling was probably seven feet. So it wasn't like a big basement. It was like t- tiny and narrow. But there was enough space cleared away, about 25 feet from one end to the other, where I could take a rubber ball, put on my baseball mitt, and throw it against the wall. Ba-dum, boom. Ba-dum, boom. That's what my parents and my sister heard. Ba-dum, boom. But in my mind, I wasn't just throwing the ball against the wall. There were baseball games going on. I even kept a scorebook 
of each, I would rate a lineup of the current players on a team, and I would play like a World Series against two teams that not wouldn't necessarily be in the World Series. So I was a big Mets fan. So let's say the 1978 Detroit Tigers against the 1978 New York Mets. Trust me, neither of those teams were making the World Series. But in my mind, they did. And in my mind, I was Craig Swan of the New York Mets. Of course, I could dictate the action. I can make certain players get hits, certain players get ground outs, errors. Now, actually, the funny thing is errors were errors. If I made an error, that was an error. There was a home run line. The ball went over my shoulder and hit the back wall. That was a home run. Of course, all my family heard was, for me, I was in a major league stadium in that basement. I was playing a silly game. So you're asking, well, what does it have to do with learning? That's where I learned to become a better baseball player. You know, when I first started playing baseball, I can honestly say I was probably the worst kid in the league. By the time I graduated high school, I was voted by my teammates as the team's most valuable player. But where did my skills get an assist in their development? It was in those silly games down in my basement where I was throwing a ball against the wall. I was, I had to field the ball cleanly. I had to make an accurate throw. I was doing all that. And I was playing these funny games in my mind, but what I was really doing was learning how to be a better fielder. So parents, don't dismiss those silly games. Don't dismiss silly questions. When you get a silly question from your child, try to figure out what they're really asking. Try to figure out how you can turn it into a learning experience. For example, if your kid asks a question like, Hey, Dad, what would happen if the sun went out? Like it burned out like a candle. Don't just say, the sun's not going to burn out or go, well, we'll be in a heap of trouble. Ask them, well, what do you think would happen? What does the sun provide for us? And all of a sudden, from this silly question, you get your child thinking, what is the importance of the sun? How does the sun benefit our lives? As teachers and as parents, we need to take advantage of these little trivial, sometimes silly statements, play acting, etc., to stoke that wonder. It doesn't have to be an amazing trip. It doesn't need to be something so technologically advanced to wow people. It could be something very simple like a shadow. Like the famous poet William Blake once said, to see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wild flower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. That's, that's what kids are seeing. And I think sometimes as adults, we've missed that sense of wonder in the little things of life. How many mornings in our rush to work, in our jobs, in the busyness of the day, do we miss out on just stopping and taking a look around and saying to ourselves in the simplicity of the morning sky with the foliage all around us, and wondering about the beauty and the majesty of God's creation. So don't always seek to douse the flames of silliness and wonder in your child or your students.
what can be imagined are often the sparks of which reality is created. And I encourage us, us adults, be it as a teacher or as a parent or both, and I'm going to encourage us as parents, teachers, or both to strive to keep that childlike wonder that we always seem to remember during simple things like fireworks on the 4th of July. As Albert Einstein once said, the pursuit of truth and beauty is a sphere of activity in which we are permitted to remain children all our lives. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply. Thank you.